Coming up, the latest on the Kansas City Royals from our team here at KCSN. All of our Royals content is brought to you by KC Strength and Conditioning, experts in baseball and softball training for kids ages 8 to 18. If you're in need, you're in luck. John and his crew have sent hundreds of players to college and the pros. That's KC Strength and Conditioning. And now, it's time for the latest updates on your Kansas City Royals. What's up, y'all? This is One Royal Way here on Kansas City Sports Network. I'm Joel Penfield, Jordan Foote, and Josh Geiser joining me as always. Gentlemen, did you guys have a good uh, long three-day weekend? I had a great one. Uh, We took the kids on the Amtrak to Warrensburg, where your boy uh, cut his teeth in college, uh, did some sightseeing for a couple hours, then brought it back. So it was a really cool trip back to the Berg. Is pumped. They love the train. That's dope, man. I I played some shitty golf on Monday and did some yard work on Sunday morning and hung out with my grandma for a little bit, visited her, because that's always something you should do as a grandson. So... Um, had some fun, had some good times, and that was you know a pretty low key weekend, but it was a good time. I spent about eighteen ish hours in the car combined uh, oh. over the weekend. Drove up uh, Friday afternoon, starting about four fifteen p.m., and drove to Duluth, Minnesota, which is about two hours north of Minneapolis. So it was about nine ish hours in the car, yeah. uh, and I drove the whole thing. So I was hopped up on about, I don't know, enough caffeine to kill a small elephant to get there. Uh, spent the day in um, in Minnesota up with my grandparents. It was the first time they've gotten to meet my son. Uh, so that was really cool. Uh, then drove back, split it up halfway. I stopped. We stopped in a good old Ames, Iowa on the Sunday. I got a, found a sports bar. I was like, I got to get, I got to get a beer and some football in at some point. It's like by myself finish the rest of the drive and I took about a four hour nap on Monday. So that's what I was I thought you were gonna say eighteen hours in front of a TV watching college football. I wish, dude, I'm doing that this Saturday though. <laughs> I already have that reserved. Like that is yeah. happening. It was it was a lot of time in the car, but well worth it. Got to see some family I haven't seen in quite a while. So super cool. I've heard that uh, drive is nice though. Well it would have been nice on the way there if it wasn't already ten PM by the time I got into Minnesota. Yeah, that's tough. Tough scene. That is tough. We hope you guys had a great and safe Labor Day weekend as well. We're in the home stretch of the baseball season. We got about a month left of, of this show for this season. Maybe a smattering of some off season episodes. Really, uh this is this is the the dog days for us in the last stretch. So we appreciate you guys being with us. We can't thank Henry Strength and Conditioning enough uh, for sponsoring this show day one here at KCSN. Be sure to check them out if you have a baseball or softball player in the area that needs a place to train. One of the, the one of my favorite things from this week, and we talked about it a little bit on the mailbag episode a couple weeks ago, the last episode I was on, about where does Nick Lofton fit into the future of the team? I was I kind of laid out a little bit of concern that we hadn't heard anything about him possibly getting called up. Uh, we really didn't know, and then lo and behold, when on September first, when rosters expanded to twenty eight, Royals selected Nick Lofton from Omaha, bring him up. And in his first big league game, goes two for three with a double and a walk, a couple RBIs and that big win uh, on Friday night, putting up 12 or 13 runs on the Red Sox. Uh, Really awesome to see him be a part of the lineup. He's played four different positions, including DH. He's been second, yeah, I believe he's been at third or left field. No, second left field DH and then first base tonight, which why the hell not at this point? I'm sure he's athletic enough to be able to handle the position I don't know how much he played of it in um, in Omaha, if at all. But you know, got to give, got to find at bats at first base at this point. Besides uh, Matt Beatty and Matt Duffy at this point, so I'm cool with Lofton playing there. It's been really impressive to see him just handle the zone. I think that he is. It is a very mature approach for a team that needs guys like that. Because we have a lot of, there are a lot of swing happy dudes in the lineup, and that's fine. Like, it's not like it's a, not necessarily an indictment on those guys, but just to have a few other guys along with like a Michael Garcia that can work a count, working at bat, and is willing to take first base without, you know, taking the bat off their shoulder. For a guy to come up in his first big league plate appearance, I almost think it's more impressive to see them take a walk than to hit a home run or anything like that. Like, we know that the guys can go bridge, but to, 
kind of calm the butterflies, calm the jitters, first game in a big league stadium to take a walk, I think says a lot about the the mental fortitude and the the knowledge of the zone right away to not get too swing happy. He's elevated a couple balls, hit some balls hard. Coffin Stadium is a bitch, and he hit a couple off the top of the wall. Uh, you know, so no home runs yet. I think one of those on Sunday, I think would have been a, a home run in a couple big league parks that they moved the damn fences in at the K. But but you know what? I've liked what I've seen so far. It's a very small sample, obviously, but I think there's a lot to like, and maybe we are seeing that he is a has a future with this team. Maybe it's just a super utility guy that can play third, short, second, first, couple outfield spots, be the kind of the Whit Merrifield type uh, that this team had for so long with when Whit Merrifield was here. And that was kind of the comp that Alex Duvall and I had when the Royals drafted him of like, you know, that might be what he is. You know, not not a guy that's going to go out and smash you a ton of home runs, but 12 to 15 homers on a good year, a lot of contact, not a ton of strikeouts, can play any position and play any of them effectively. It feels like that might be the role. And maybe he's maybe he slots in somewhere uh, like a full-time second base or full-time left field uh, if there are some moves that happen this offseason to where he can be a starting guy. And I think if he's hitting six or seven in your lineup, you can pencil him into any position any day, and I think you feel pretty good about it. I, it seemed like every time they talked about Nick Lofton this weekend, Whit Merrifield was mentioned in the same sentence. So the, the broadcasting booth is definitely on that comp as well. But the other thing I noticed about Nick Lofton this weekend was the sound the ball made off the bat. Crushed, was, crushed a couple. It was substantial. Like it was like I, I usually have it on in the background, and very rarely do I able am able to have sound on at the same time. But it just seemed like the ball was exploding off of his bat every time he hit it. I had to look up and be like, "Whoa, where's that going?" So it, I don't want to be that guy who says like, "Well, it sounds differently coming off the bat," but it just legitimately made some loud pops this weekend, so that's fun to see. Yeah, he he like it can be a hybrid between the play style of a Nicky Lopez and a Whit Merrifield. Nicky Lopez in that this guy's going to bring a somewhat mature approach. He's going to walk a little bit more than a Whit Merrifield did, but also keep the strikeout rate somewhat low. He's going to have more of the power potential closer to a Merrifield. And like Whit, he had like a 15 home run season. He hit like roughly 15 to 20 for a few years. Then he kind of leveled out to about 10. And Lofton probably gives you 15 home run power, like a Michael Massey type power profile. And I might, I think that's a good, that's a good power. Kind of like that. And, and that yeah. you don't know when it's going to average out, but eventually he is capable of hitting the shit out of the ball. And he has shown that it's that type of profile. And when you add in the positional versatility on defense, that's a valuable player. And he can be, the Royals don't need Nick Lofton to be the best super utility guy in baseball, but if they have a Samad Taylor that has been on the team, they had a Nicky Lopez, they had a Whit Merrifield they got rid of, they've been looking for, and Nate Eaton was kind of not thrust as that guy by us, but some people were like, okay, Nate Eaton can be that super utility, good enough bat to stick, didn't happen. Like They still have an opening for a player like that, and he's still young enough, the prospect profile's still intact, it's not like he's been at the big leagues forever and you're just done with him. He's just now getting started, on a bad team. So um, it's worth, again, an extended look. And we've probably said that a billion times over the past couple of weeks, but we're at the point in the season where no one is set in what they should be doing long-term besides shortstop, third base, maybe one outfield spot. There's a combination of catchers and pitchers. That, that's it. You're, you're like, good. this guy, you can't rule too many people out. And Nick Lofton has done the opposite of that so far. And it's the best start you could ask for. And that's uh, always better than the alternative, I think. We're, we're, we're recording in progress of the game that's happening on Tuesday. And right now, Nick Lofton came up and hit another ball 100 miles an hour for a single. Like, he's just he's just hitting the ball hard, finding the barrel. It's not always going to be elevated. Like, this one, the launch angle was negative one, so he hit it on the ground. But, again, he hit the ball hard enough, like we've talked about with some of these other guys, that the profile, the, the batted ball profile evens out. So I think it I think we're it. mispronouncing his name. Can you guys tell me what his name is? Uh, it's Thick Dick Lofton. Sorry yeah, about Thick that. Lofton. Yeah, that's Lofton. Lofton. Thank you. I, I'm just needing that to catch on because I'm going to sell <laughs> t-shirts and stuff probably. And uh, I just need it to catch on. So, yep. A guy who deserves all the respect in the world put on his name 
Cole Reagans, the American League pitcher of the month for August, three and one in thirty-six and two-thirds innings, a one-seven-two ERA with fifty-three strikeouts. Here are the ranks among all starting pitchers since the beginning of August. Not American League Central, not Kansas City based, not American League, just all MLB pitchers. Cole Reagans is first in wins above replacement, first in ERA, first in FIP, first in expected FIP. Second in strikeouts per nine, third in innings pitched, and his average fastball velocity is sixth. He is absolutely dominant. And there was the Eno Saris article on The Athletic where he went to not quite KCSC, but the next best thing in Tread Athletics, Tread, apparently. Shout out Tread Athletics. Yeah, you know, and really worked with all his movement, got that going, has a program that works now. Um, and then Esteban Rivera on Fangraphs kind of detailed his pitch usage. The four-seamer not getting thrown nearly as much, like a 12% decrease. The slider now went from nothing, because it wasn't existing, to 14.6%. That has been the difference with allowing his other pitches to look better. Even the cutter that still isn't perfect, but is playing better. So this is no longer a... And listen, I'm not saying Cole Riggins is an ace for every MLB team long-term. I'm not even convinced he's the Kansas City Royals ace the next time they make the playoffs. I'm not saying they need to trade him, any of that. At the worst, they got a formidable big league, probably pure rotation arm for a rental of a Roldis Chapman. And that is excellent GMing. And Josh, um, you can both add what you want. Perfect segue into I, the Royals had a damn good trade deadline, even if all they would have got was Cole Riggins. They won it, dude. They won the trade deadline unequivocally. Where where I'm here, I'm here to say I went and looked at all of the trades that were done at the around the middle of the trade deadline to kind of see exactly where the Royals' hauls came through. Cole Riggins has the highest F war of every player traded at 2.2. That's a starting pitcher with like eight starts, and it's a 2.2 F war. That is higher than Berlander. That is higher than Scherzer. That is higher than. Montgomery that's higher than Lorenzen is all better than all these guys and he is not a rental he mm-hmm. is a six-year control player for three years of league minimum well uh three league minimum and he's going to be a royal for at least six more years like Jordan said I don't know what he is long term he could be he could be the ace we've been looking for he could just be a serviceable MLB starting pitcher and that's totally fine but I went back and I looked at so the 2.2 F4 through eight starts is about an 8.3 F4 pace That's if, if he goes 30 starts in a season. Since 2000, there are seven pitchers that have turned in a season of that or, or better. And of those seven, only one of those was less than 32 starts. So he is on an outrageous, unsustainable, probably pace, but there's plenty of reason to believe that there is actual realness to it. Um, the other part about that is Nelson Velasquez looks like an absolute dude. Uh, or we'll talk to you about him a little bit more later, but he's got the 14th highest F4 in that group that was traded uh, you know, at the trade deadline. And the Royals netted overall the second most F4. As a team that was selling, they added the second most F4 of any other team in the major leagues, buyers, sellers, whoever. They had a 2.3 F4 of major league talent as sellers. That is huge, huge. So the fact that they were able to do that without picking up a huge amount of payroll, like we can come back and look at like the yeah. Texas Rangers. If there's like a world right. pennant, we can come back and be like, well, the Scherzer, Montgomery, the Aroldis deals, that's why they won the trade then. Okay, that's fine. They spent a ton of money to get that ring, and that's fine too. Maybe down the road we see the Verlander deal to the Mets where they got uh, Gilbert and Clifford. Maybe they're you know overall better prospects, but we're still talking about Cole Riggins and Nelly Velasquez are here doing it right now, and those guys might do what they're currently doing. So that's yep. that's another thing. They didn't pick up a ton of money like the Mets did either. I mean, yes. they picked up like eighty, like wait, sixty-eight million dollars in money that's just gone for the next two seasons. They didn't do that either. They didn't have to buy oh. their prospects. They got the guys that are ready now, and they got huge, huge return for it. They won. And it makes you wonder if the Nicky Lopez trade didn't happen, like let's just call a spade a spade. It's not like yeah. Lopez has done anything good, but like that trade sucked. Objectively, hasn't shown anything yet that it's been worth it. If that didn't happen, though, everything else has been pretty good. You're like, the Royals well, have done just fine 
at the trade deadline. And like, listen, I'm not a JJ Piccolo apologist. I don't think he's a top whatever GM in baseball, any of that stuff. But the crowd that at the beginning of the year at the trade deadline when the team was sucking, all that stuff, oh, he's just a clone of Dayton Moore. He, he's not a clone of Dayton Moore. He's his own guy and he deserves his flowers for what he did. Despite all the shortcomings of the team thus far yes. in one year, again, if it's still this bad at, the, at this point next year, then you have to have those honest conversations. Like, is this the the group of people for the job? Is everything the right you know, spot? He did good work at the trade deadline that deserves to be recognized. Mm-hmm. I think Cole Reagans might be, like, what Cole Reagans has done, I think, is my favorite story of the season so far. Because it was completely out of left field, to mix mm-hmm. metaphors here. Like, we knew... At least there was a pretty good chance. Like, my three favorite stories, at least so far, have been Michael Garcia turning into an everyday big league. Like, we all knew that was a possibility. We didn't know what to what degree, but we knew that was at least a possibility. We knew Bobby Wood Jr. It was going to turn on for him somehow, and he's turned into a top 10 player in sport. We all knew that that was at least in the realm of possibility. And it's, you know, happened even beyond our own expectations. But Cole Reagan's becoming what seems to be a legitimate top-of-the-rotation arm for the Royals for the next however many years, did not see that coming at all. We came on this podcast after the Aralis deal, and we're like, okay, seems like a, a very Royals move, like in a, a quad A type guy that is major league ready, can fill you a need right now. Maybe he's a little better in the future, but is he a starter, is he a reliever? We didn't know. We were like, okay, like I think this might work. And he's come on and turned into the second coming of Sandy Koufax or something. Like, it's it's been incredible to see, truly. Like, what what he has accomplished this month on a team that went, what, like 9-19 and 19 or 10-20 and 20 or 10-19 and 19 in the month of August. Like, for him to, to win, they won four of those five starts. Like, mm-hmm. it says a lot about having a guy like that. We talked about having Brady Singer kind of as a win day guy. Like the Royals, at least we thought coming into the year, they at least had something. He regressed significantly. It feels like the Royals have a win day guy in Cole Reagans. And on a bad even on a bad team, that is incredibly valuable to have. And hopefully he can, you know, stay healthy this offseason, come into next year. I wouldn't be shocked if he's the opening day starter in 2024. And the you know, a guy that every fifth day even on a team that may not win a ton, you feel comfortable that the Royals at least are going to have a pretty decent shot to win. And I think I agree that it's one of my favorite, if not the my favorite part, because it's like a huge sign of progression. They went out, identified a guy that they thought that they could do something with, and then they did it with that guy, and then he turned into a dude. I mean, that is an all-around, all-encompassing, front-to-back, front-office organizational win. That's an organization, that's a front office, that's a coaching win all around. So that's that's one of the more encouraging things, and that's absolutely what you want to see from a team that is down on the dumps like the Royals have been this year. So more of that, please. Absolutely. We're going to talk about one of these other uh, trade wins for the front office here coming up right after this. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. 
But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Be sure to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. We appreciate all you guys tuning in to this, whether it's on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. We're going to go into our hitter and pitcher spotlights of the week. And our hitter is one of these other guys that the Royals got in a trade uh, back at the beginning of August in Nelson Velasquez, Nelly Nukes. Uh, hit another home run tonight. That means that he has in 107 big league plate appearances this year, he has 25 hits and 11 of them are home runs. It's ridiculous. He has home runs in three of his last four games. He is the right-handed power bat that the Royals were trying to get at the deadline. Like, it was everything that J.J. talked about. He has come in, and he has been that. Uh, slide, and now, the the overall numbers do not look that pretty, uh, at least the average in OBP, but he's slugging 604. In, <laughs> That's with sustainable, a, right? That's a real-life right? Incredibly sustainable. Uh, <laughs> with his two hits so far on the night as we are recording, he's got the weighted runs created plus on the season up to 147. Again, it's a very it's a fairly small sample in 107 plate appearances, but he spent the majority of this year in AAA. I talked about it a couple weeks ago, but it's got to again call back to the the podcast uh, where we did the mailbag and people were asking about you know what does the outfield look like in 2024? I penciled him into right field, and I think he's continued to prove that it's legitimate right-handed power. He can handle right field. That's not like it is a hope and pray every time the ball is hit to him that he makes a play. He's not going to play it at an elite level, but he certainly can hold his own, and that's all you're asking for with a guy that has this type of power. Like, he doesn't need the defense to, you know, to really be there because he can't hit. Like, he certainly can hit. It is, I think the most impressive thing for him is it's, he is not selling out for power at all. Like, with his swing, it's just smooth barrel stays in the zone for a long time power to all fields you know the pull side power is ridiculous but he's hit a couple out to right center and right field where it's like damn like the ball yeah. like it cut it is easy power the other way if he can walk a little bit more he's striking out 26 percent of the time that's fine i think that's perfectly sustainable if he can walk up about nine to ten percent you're looking at a guy that Hits you 240 with about 25. I think there's legit 25 to 30 home run power there over the course of a full season. It's a great, it's great process by the Royals. You traded a reliever that you really, you know, in Jose Quas, it was like a, a perfect trade your reliever situation. You get a guy that has still four years of control left after this and looks like you found some right-handed power in this lineup besides Bobby Wood Jr. going forward. So I had 
some data <laughs> that I found before we started. And I, I have more thoughts after my initial point, but I feel like Josh is going to have some of them too. Um, but diving into his splits this year against lefties hitting 167 with an 88 weight of runs created plus against righties 283 with a 163 WRC plus at home this year, 308 average 193 WRC plus on the road hitting 097 with a WRC plus of two. Um, he hit a home run at home on Tuesday night against the right-handed pitcher, no less, that continues to add to this uh, finding that I had earlier. The flip side of that, though, his career split pretty even lefty versus righty, like there's not a huge platoon difference there. Um, home versus away, though, the WRC plus 119 versus 85. Now he played whatever 75 games in 22 with the Cubs. Like it's not a big uh, sample quite yet. It's not like he can't play on the road or anything. I just found it an interesting tidbit that people would like. And then it just so happened that um, he helped on Tuesday night by confirming what he's already been doing this year. But Josh, I'll let you get the real analysis done and then maybe I'll swoop back in. I mean, that was pretty damn real to me. That's that big was, J. That was, uh, I'm just yeah, saying. Big J stuff. <laughs> Uh, I was looking at the reverse splits too. I did kind of come back to two last year. It was kind of more reverse, like how you would think it was. He was better against lefties than he was righties, and the same for the minors. So I, I don't know if that reverse split is a thing. But the home and away is very interesting. Maybe, I mean, maybe he doesn't like planes or something. I don't know. I don't know what that is, but uh, but there's something to look at there. The thing that I kind of came back to and kind of noticed was he significantly increased his ability to hit fastballs between last year and this year. Um, in 22, he had a 32% whiff rate on fastballs. That's that's a lot. That's a very high number. Um, per stat cast, is a negative four run value against four seamers, negative three versus sinkers, and then a five, a positive five against cutters, um, which makes sense. I mean, a right-handed pitcher's cutter is going to cut towards the sweet spot of the bat, which I'm sure is probably what he was able to do there. This year, it's a 20.6% whiff rate against fastballs, a five run value against four seamers, a six versus a sinker, and a negative one against a cutter. So somehow he is better at hitting fastballs as a Royal. I thought once you put the Royals uniform, you just stopped hitting fastballs altogether. So that has changed and that is significantly. And I think that is kind of a sign towards you know, this could be sustainable a little bit, at least to a, to a certain extent. Uh, but also his play discipline and his swing decisions since coming to the Royals has gone, has been very, you know, a lot better than it was. He's making more contact and barely more balls. He's swinging more, but he's chasing less than when he was with the Cubs. He has more fly balls and line drives than he does ground balls since he came over. So it just seems like an all around better approach to what he was doing in a Cubs uniform, which is basically what he was doing. He was either, hitting well he's basically just hitting crap out of the ball when he made contact so it was basically the same thing but yeah it, it does seem like the approach and the plate decisions and the swing decisions better contact is all kind of what we've seen from him since uh joining the royals in a very small sample size so i'm i'm with you joel i'm ready to kind of pencil him into the right field uh, conversation next year which brings me to my question about it you got to plant your flag on one of these guys one of them okay uh, based off what you know right now. I knew it was coming. Go for it. Velasquez, Edward Olivares, or MJ Melendez. I, you got three of them to choose from, and I think that that's a very real decision that's going have to have to be made. So what do you got? I don't think it's going to – I don't think that's going to happen. I think I think MJ's in left field in 24. I do too. I, I Barring – I almost tend to agree with Joel on that exclusively. Like I think you're really choosing between – is it Nick Prado factored into that? Like who? Everybody who can't fit in left field or center field. What are you doing? Plus Olivares, plus Waters. Exactly. Like yeah. I, I mean, you got you got Isbell, you got Waters, yeah. you got Nelly, yeah. you got MJ, you got yep. um, uh, Tyler Gentry is going to be in the yeah. mix. You now have Nick Lofton. So you exactly. have six to seven guys that could legitimately play your corner outfielders, but also aren't necessarily taking the bull by the horns by it. I, so, so I, I think, think you're. Or Dyron Blanco. I think you got to yeah. carry him as a fifth. So, Joel, go ahead. So yeah. my left field or my outfield, at least at present, uh, for like for next year, MJ in left, Drew Waters in center, Velasquez in right with Isbell and let Gentry and Blanco battle it out for that fifth spot. 
I think it goes Melendez for me, Waters number two, then a gap of like players they should want to see get continued reps in any outfield spot. Then like Velasquez, Isbell, like a Lofton, a Gentry. One one of those guys is in tier two. Then you have a drop off and it's like Olivares. I guess Blocko could have been in that second tier, potentially even with his mm-hmm. age, just because he's done good work since he's uh, yep. been yep. up. And I think really for me, you hit on Velasquez, like the, the barrel rate since he came over is first among all qualified Royals. He's hitting the shit out of the ball. The expected slugging is up there. The barrel rates up there. The hard hit rates up there. The expected, whatever the hell you want to look at in terms of making contact on the ball and hitting it hard is up there. Now he still struggles at whiff rate, walk rate, strikeout rate, stuff like that, but it's improved over what it's been. Um, the thing with him, I just think that the Royals need to see more, and I think I need to see more until I buy in. The good thing with him, though, is he has a trump card that Edward Olivares had, is also better defensively, while still not good, don't get me wrong, but he's not a complete train wreck defensively. He's young. He has that new car smell almost to him (laughs) and has gotten off to a a pretty decent start. So he has taken Edward Olivares' spot. I wouldn't be surprised if he was non-tendered or flipped in the winter, something like that. Nelson Velasquez is a possible platoon slash give him every day in right field and see what he does slash depth options slash he holds off this guy longer. Um, He's going to have to start 2024 well, don't get me wrong. And that's the same for a lot of guys, but he has earned, barring a absolutely terrible rest of September, and even then probably, he deserves a shot. And again, that is more than you can say for some guys. Two guys I kind of thought that might he might turn into if they don't, if they kind of keep him as is, are Teoscar Hernandez and Hunter Renfro. I feel like yeah. both of those guys have similar profiles to what Nelly Velasquez is right now, and they could potentially unlock more of that, make him a better defender, make him walk a little bit more, and then... Who knows what he could be at that point? So it's a good shot that they could take out. He's 24 years old. He has two MLB or two more options that they could throw him uh, back down Omaha. If he's not figuring it out, there's time to figure it out. So uh, if, if those guys are like the realistic cop, the 80th percentile you know, outcome, and with the upside of better, then uh, this is a W, especially for Quas. Who do you guys <laughs> okay, guess Jose Quas's ERA as a Cub? 3.2. Jordan? He's probably confirmed my priors. I bet it's astronomical. It's 0.64 ER. Okay, never mind. So I, I was wrong. Hold He's on. done the opposite of uh, his XFIP. Yes, that's where that. it is. A billion. A billion. Like probably 6.5 or something. 5.59. Yes. That's, in that's 14 innings. always my thing with him. I'm like, I, I don't, he can't keep getting away with this. And like, technically he is, <laughs> but still he cannot keep getting away with this unless he is just an all time statistical outlier, which maybe he is, but that's, if does not still bullpen. We would be scratching our heads and pulling yes. our hair out yes. just as yeah. much, if not more than we already are. I mean, yeah, it's, we talked about the blog jam and outfield. I mean, yeah. if we're, I'd just rather talk about, potential upside and productivity in the outfield than more questions without answers than Jose Guas in the bullpen. So it's a win. Yeah. Here's what I found. Okay. Quickly. <laughs> Thanks, Siri. Thanks, uh, Siri. So we're going to talk about our pitcher spotlight now, and it is not near as rosy and optimistic, uh, but we're going to talk about Alec Marsh. So here's the season-long numbers. Uh, 6.23 ERA, 52 innings pitched. Uh, he started eight games. He's been the bulk guy in a few starts or a few games, so 12 games overall. The upside, 60 strikeouts in those 52 innings. Not bad. Uh, but 29 walks, eight hit by pitch, and 15 home runs given up. So he's either striking dudes out or he's getting absolutely lit the hell up. And for a guy that spins his fastball as well as he does, like, it get it is one of the most it's very like kind of Jackson Coar in that way. Now Coar doesn't spin it the same way. What it's like or oh yeah, tra- uh Brandon Mauer. It's that same type of thing where it's like for a fastball that's that good metrically, it shouldn't be getting hit that hard. And I know he's done some tweaking. He's added a sinker, he's you know, started tweaking with the slider. So maybe some of these changes help him long term 
and the short term is just kind of ugly as he's working through some of these changes. I think, just to sum up my point very quickly here, because I know we got to hit a break. I think he's just, I think he just throw him in the bullpen, let the fastball eat, let him make some of these changes in short spurts. I don't think, I think the walks and the home runs, you can't start him every single day. Now, if you want to make him an opener or a bulk guy every once in a while, sure. Like, I think that's that's fine, but I think a clearly defined role in the bullpen is probably best for his long-term as uh, prospects as a big Alec Marsh continues to confuse. That seems to be the the overarching theme with him. It that was, the, that that was the thing last year, too. Bingo. Yeah. He will always get hit really hard, but he'd also have like seven or eight Ks through five. And so you think that there's like something there, and there is. I mean, like Joel said, he's in the 90th percentile in fastball spin. That's not nothing. He's at thirty one or thirty point one percent whiff rate, which is a seventy eighth percentile according to Saban. Um, he has a three eighteen BABIP, so that's kind of gubbed out. He's given up so many home runs, and I think the biggest issue that I've seen as the Royals have been literally throwing everything at the wall to see if they can figure out a role for him. I mean, bulk guy, opener, reliever, starter. I mean, it's all been there. The big problem is control. His best oh, start yeah. was there. What was it? Eight, it was the uh, seven fifteen against the Rays. Yeah, six innings pitched, six base runners, two earned over an eleven Ks, versus a start like on Saturday against Red Sox where he went two two and two thirds, nine runners, six earned, and one K. Specifically, it was his control. He had no feel seemingly for his fastball or his changeup that day, and it showed. He was missing so many targets. The Red Sox were just sitting there waiting for him to throw something over the middle because he had to. When you're doing that, you cannot you cannot be productive in a uh, major league rotation or a bullpen at that point. So, I don't know. I it's obviously salvageable. The per the spin on there is fine. His stuff plus models are all pretty solid. Um, he's just missing his locations, and that's huge. That's absolutely huge. You can't you can't have the traffic on the bases like he has, um, and and still be a produ- productive productive pitcher in the major league. So if he can get it under control. Maybe go see Tread. Add a little ticks to yep. that velo and see see what they could do with that spin and, and make it an absolute weapon. But as far as like a starter or reliever, he has a 5.27 XFIP as a starter and a 5.23 XFIP as a reliever. So I don't know what the I don't know what I mean that that kind of goes with the bulk situation too. But he just hasn't been effective either way at this point. So we gotta gotta make some tweaks. He gives me Jonathan Easley vibes and it's a different arsenal his fastball plays a billion times more than easily's ever did or probably ever will um but in terms of like gives up a ton of home runs like dances with trouble all the time gets shelled and then looks dominant for a little bit and you think he's just a gamer that could get by like alec marsh has a better arsenal than John Heasley had. I think he can be a bulldog type pitcher like Jonathan Heasley was supposed to be. And this isn't me saying Jonathan Heasley's career is over. I'm not like writing an obituary for him. Just the the You're writing that obituary for two um, years, dude, and you know it. I since the beginning of this year, and back in February, I was like, nope, nope. But that'll, maybe that'll be me in February for Alec Marsh. But anyway, he's been a little bit better as a reliever, but like Josh said, like you look at the ERA difference is over four, but then you look at the expected stuff. You're like, okay, well, this is a little bit of statistical noise. Again, it's uh, 35 innings as a starter, 16 as a reliever. He deserves to continue working through it because when he's on, he can be a absolutely dominant, just shut down pitcher. I think you harness that in the bullpen. Like I, I truly believe long-term, he can't start anymore. He has to be given a bullpen role, whether it's long relief, whether you get a couple more ticks on that velo and then you make him one of the uh, three back end guys, perhaps. I don't know exactly what the plan should be for him. Um, but the the arsenal, the expected slugging for the change up the fastball, like it, it's a lot better than what he's actually been giving up. So, like Josh said, the numbers will come down at some point, but even then, because he dances with trouble, because he gives up so many home runs. I still don't know what to think about him. So I'm TBD on him big time, leaning that I have one foot out, um, but I don't know what I would bet on him. And speaking of betting, Joel's going to talk about that. Gentlemen, can you believe we've had seven months without an NFL game? Crazy, right? 
No good. That's over. The NFL is here in DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving you a can't-miss offer for week one. This week, new customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you bet just 5 bucks on any NFL game. DraftKings is hooking up everyone with game day greatness. All customers can take advantage of two offers every single game day this September. Check the app to see what you get. Download now and use code KCSN to sign up. New customers can take home $200 in bonus bets instantly just for betting 5 bucks. That's code KCSN. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Man, stroking that like a Nelson Velasquez home run. Oh, we're not done, buddy. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem, for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See dkng.co slash football for eligibility, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. We got a We will be right back. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. And download the DraftKings app. Use code KCSN, $200. Uh, get $200 free for a $5 bet. Gentlemen, let's do some minor league report. Uh, we got a full one this week, actually. Yeah. And I asked a couple of guys because we actually have time at the end of this episode. Uh, we'll start at AAA and work our way down. Uh, Josh, we'll start with you. What, what do you got for uh, for what we've seen at Omaha? Uh, we got Nick Prado is back at rehabbing on his assignment. That's one of the things that we as a show that kind of pays attention to the major league but primarily really, really need to see Nick Prado up the major leagues as soon as possible. Um, he's so far in his rehab assignment is four for 18, eight strikeouts, one walk, two home runs, and seven RBIs. Nick Prado was back to doing Nick Prado things at Omaha. So I'm out of breath. I was dancing all the time, so I really need to get back in shape. But yeah, Nick Prado's back on the rehab game and uh, doing doing what he's usually doing. I've got Devin Mann. He was brought over in the Ryan Yarbrough trade. He has played entering Tuesday a nice, tidy 24 games as a member of the Royals organization. I split it down the middle. The first 12 games, he hit 263 with a 308 on base percentage. His OPS was 564. WRC Plus was 51. Um, since then, he was also striking out 33% of the time during that stretch with only two extra base hits. Just was not working well for him. The last 12 games, he's only hitting 200, but his OBP is 385. And the slugging percentage is 525 um, with a 126. WRC plus he's walking 21% of the time during that span strikeout rates down 4% seven extra base hits the BABIP is 227 in that stretch so you're like okay he's due for some positive regression and that's even with the positive progression he has made over the last 12 games so Devin Mann came over we were like okay maybe he can do something started off pretty poorly you're like okay maybe he can't now kind of popping up I'm a little bit back on the radar Hit another dinger tonight. Did he? Really? Yep. Yep. Me and my agenda, man, and my my stats, they're they're helping me out. Usually they absolutely crap on anything I find, but today it's been good. So I don't know. Honestly, I don't have anything on Omaha. Uh the only thing I, I found is that they are in last place in the uh International League West. Now, thankfully, they do not have the worst record in the International League. I believe that goes to Syracuse and Charlotte. So not last. Cool. Um, we did it. Yeah. Moving on to double A Northwest Arkansas. I just want to say how much I love Javier Vaz. Like, oh. I love watching this dude play. He's hitting 333 since moving up to, uh, since moving up to double A on August 8th. Uh, two home runs in that span, which he's not necessarily known for his power. So, but when he gets into it, like, you can tell, like, it's very, um, Pure, smooth. Yeah, like it, it kind of like he has a really nice feel for the barrel to when he connects. 
it it does fly. Like there's a ton of bat speed there, and he's still walking more than he's striking out. He's playing, you know, solid defensively from everything we've heard. I think there is a world where he is going to factor in to the big leagues next year, sometime around July or August. He just finds ways on base. He finds ways to hit. He's, you know, he can steal enough bases where he's, you know, got some potential there. He can play enough positions defensively, second base, can play some left field. You're like, you know, put him ninth in your order and let him turn the lineup over to the top. I think it's a perfect type guy that the Royals can find a position for. Like, better than what Samad Taylor's probably giving you, better than what Nate Eaton's giving you in those type of utility, bottom of the lineup roles. I think there's enough hit tool there where I don't think it's fluky. Like, it's not like he is... It's not, it's not like it's Nicky Lopez-ish where it's almost exclusively singles and you're relying on your a high Babbitt to, to sustain over the course of the season. There's enough juice there to where you can get some extra base hits, hit a, hit a bunch of doubles, get on base, and he's not going to strike out a ton either, which this team really needs guys like that that aren't going to be heavy, uh, like heavy high strikeout guys. Yeah, I think I think he finds his way on the big leagues next year. I don't know how, I don't know when, but it just feels like he's going to keep hitting enough. I've got a guy that I I don't really know what he does long term he's going to be 26 in january he's rule five eligible like yada yada all that stuff um tyler tolbert the stolen bases king he has 48 of them this year um 97 wrc plus like he's been a fine hitter all year he's ran into some power in the past month his ops is up to 810 the 106 wrc plus is fine he's striking out less um, doesn't draw a ton of walks this year, which is kind of a, a minor concern, but like he's not on the prospect list. I don't think he was on uh, Royals Farms top. Did he do a top 50? He must have been. Pretty yeah, bad. I mean, he might have been near the bottom. I don't think. Yeah. It was. So like Tyler Tolbert hasn't been on anyone's radar and maybe he's a career minor league guy that's just going to steal bases and, and make a living doing that and have fun. But again, you go through the organizational depth chart of outfielders and the guy that can play different outfield spots and has the range, has all that stuff. He's another one. And I, I just don't know. I noticed, I was like, I haven't talked about him all year. I don't think any of us really have. So I wanted to shed some light on him and he's kind of just doing the same thing. He's been an okay hitter, stealing a shit ton of bases, offering some glove defensively and just again, doing his thing. Um, a guy I would like to see doing his thing very near in the future is Gavin Cross. Um, he was put on the seven-day IL back in August 15th. He hasn't had a game since August 9th or something like that. And I haven't seen any any update, any information. The only thing is he was put on the IL with an illness. I mean, that can mean a lot of things, but it's just a very ambiguous thing that you wouldn't think would be a multiple-week uh, absence. But um, it's just kind of weird that there's been no update on Gavin Cross. I'd like to see him back out of the ballpark as soon as possible before AAA wraps up. So I, uh, I, I got to keep my eyes peeled, I guess. Yeah, hopefully we get to see him at least a little bit here before the season wraps up. I don't, I don't know at this point, but you know we can hope. Hope everything's all right. I mean, an illness that lasts this long, you don't know if that's physical right. or mental. Like that's kind of kind of worrisome in that regard. Yeah, yeah. Moving up to high A, my there's not, I'm, <laughs> there's not a lot. I mean, for all the Frank Mazzucato stock that I was stocking up on in April and May, I'm slowly beginning to start to sell off. Six walks in his previous start. Now he struck out seven. Cool. Yep. Walk six. Walk four or five tonight. Didn't I think he only struck out three? Like the the strikeout numbers being there is great, but the walk numbers are like oh, like five alarm concerning at this point. Yeah. I mean, I he has to find a way. He he sure. has to find a way to pare down on that next year. I know he's probably gonna start the year in high A, but once you get to double A, it is truly sink or swim time for him. Yeah. And that is the biggest jump in the minor leagues. And if he is still walking dudes at a, an alarming clip like he has been this year, I mean, it looks like a whiff on was his first round pick. Was it Preston Farr that pointed out maybe he's tinkering with his mix he, a little bit? Like, I don't yeah, know if like that's he true, but if he is. I think it was, I think it was, they said he's a slider. 
which yeah. I think is a smart play. Um, you know, if he wants to work on that, I bet they're going to send him to instructs and let him throw a bunch of innings there. Um, but still not too much leeway. Somebody, like at know, a certain point you have to produce. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing I think Preston sh- said it and showed a video tonight. He was mostly been 90 to 91 popped yeah. a 94 tonight. Um, I don't even think it was a strike, but the fact that he popped a 94, I'm like, okay, <laughs> at least, at least like he has that in him. Like, yeah. Yes. Like it, which I think he needs to go to the Cole Reagan school of learning how to throw ball hard. And, and I think there is a certain element of this where I think you can take a Cole Reagan's and Frank Moscato kind of corollary Mm. where guys that didn't throw for a ton of velocity had strikeout stuff, but they walk so many dudes at that lower velocity. Yeah. And Cole Reagan's has almost stopped walking people once he started throwing order. Like, I wonder if there is that just throw shit hard in the zone and it takes away some of that aiming and trying to nibble and be so fine at 94, 90, you know, 92, 94, that it takes away some of those walk concerns. Yeah. And it makes those off-speed pitches play so much better. Like, Frank Mazzucato gets some ugly swings on his change on his curveball. It's a legit 65-70 pitch. Mm-hmm. If he can start throwing 95, 96, think about how much uglier those swings are going to be on that curveball, Right. Like, I think I think he needs to find a way to gain some velocity this offseason. And I think there is a legitimate example in the organization of finding more velocity leading to more success. I wonder if he's really working on some things. If he's an Arizona Fall League uh, possibility. That, I mean, that's... I think it's a little early for the Fall League. It might be a little early, yeah. If, now, if he has a decent year next year after A, you send him to the Fall League, okay. Sure. Like, I think yeah. that's probably the better route. But I think you need to let him sink or swim in double A before you make that decision. That's fair. Yeah, I think that's okay. Um, I, I did find a bright spot in uh, in high A in Sherwin Newton. Yeah, he's a 23-year-old switch hitter that we got in the Rule 5, or I'm sorry, 24-year-old at high A. So even more so that he's a little bit older in this competition. But hey, the, 24 is not that old. 24 don't, is don't hate not on 24-year-olds. Don't, don't hate on 24-year-olds. I... I'm 24. Ah, there's well, nothing wrong with being 24. I'm also not in high eight. So. You're not in quad cities I, at the moment. I'm so. not even in rookie ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're in an independent league, sir. Uh, and it's probably pretty young for the independent league. Uh, but he was drafted in the rule for the minor league rule five draft uh, in this last offseason. One of their only, I think it was their only rule five pick in the offseason. But he is a massive dude. Uh, 6'3, 209. Uh, absolute unit of a man and a switch hitter plays shortstop and third base but in the last 30 days he's slashing 346 407 654 with five dingers 9.9 percent walk rate at 28.6 percent k rate i don't know what he is long term like i said he's still pretty old compared to the guys he's hitting taking yard on a regular basis in, anymore but it is kind of fun to see some like he was a guy that I wanted to see more of this year. I thought I had the the pop to be able to be somebody. So he needs to take continue to take some steps forward, and we could be talking about him uh, a little bit further next year. Maybe he's an Arizona Fall League guy. You're on mute, bud. You're on mute, Jordan. Oh I was wondering goodness. why nobody was. I was wondering why nobody was reacting to me. I kept talking, and you guys just looked at me like I was crazy. Indeed, I was. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm just going to double up on my high A and my Columbia guys. Rookie mistake on my part. Sorry, guys. Mm-hmm. Shane Panzini made his first start in a high A. Four innings pitched, five hits. He gave up a home run. Three earned runs, five strikeouts, three walks. Just wanted to bring it up, say he's out there, he's doing his thing. Um, and I just remembered, which is bad on my part, I think I talked about Austin Charles like a month ago, four or five episodes ago, and kind of said, eh, I don't know. And now I'm, again, kind of crapping on the guy. So apologies to him. He's walking a little bit more since August 1st than he has this season, but he's also striking out more. The power numbers are down. The WRC Plus is down. And I think it was when we ranked the prospects or reacted to the pipeline. Yeah. I was like, eh, I'm not sure if he's you know worth that ranking based on potential and projection. He hasn't been bottoming out by any means. It's not like it's time to hit the panic button on him. He's still insanely talented and brimming with potential. Um, but instead of trending up to close out the season, he's kind of been trending down. Just wanted to bring it up. It's not an urgent thing whatsoever. 
I wanted to kind of talk about some power hitters. Um, we got Brett Squires and Trevor Werner down there in Columbia that are absolutely hitting the crap out of the ball the last over last week. Which, what, what do you make of him? Like, I know Werner, I mean, he could be like on a Vinny path. He's a big dude, uh, kind of unheralded coming out, especially after the pick. And you kind of want to like, who is that? But, I mean, him and Squires both, two home runs apiece this last week. Squires 10, 10 ribbies. Werner had six ribbies. I mean, that's that's a fun couple guys to inject in that lineup. And if you get some guys on in front of them, I mean, they could, they could go yard at any minute. So, uh I don't know what you make of it, but it's certainly something to keep an eye on. I'm much higher on Werner, I think. My only concern with Squires is that he's been in low A all year at 23, yeah. and he's yeah. striking out almost 30%. Mm-hmm. That is a concern, but the 136 WRC plus there, even at that age, still fine, I think. He was a UDFA guy, so it's not like he was a... I got it got has come out of nowhere. And he swiped 30 bags, which I didn't know was in his bag at all right. as a player. So I was like, oh, okay. Um, now, he's still riding a pretty high bat, but it's 371 compared to his average of 268. But I think you put him in quad cities next year, and if he can, if he still hits at a you know, power at a decent clip and can still swipe you some bags, keep the weight around his career plus around 120, we might be talking about a dude that's on the, the back end of a top 30 list by midseason. Like, I wouldn't mm-hmm. be shocked by that. But I think Warner has like legitimate helium potential to be a, a dude in the system. I, I truly believe that. My guy, and I, I've talked about him before. I'm probably going to keep talking about him. He just kind of falls into like a prospect profile that I love, and that's Carson Rockefeller. The dude yeah. just hits. Like, like it's kind of like Tucker Bradley, where it's just like the guy, all he does is hit. And there may not be a super elite carrying tool, but the ability to just put bat on ball like is is enough for me to go be, be intrigued. 153 WRC plus without a home run, I think is incredibly impressive. 313 average. Now, again, the Babbitt is 424, and a lot of that is purely because he's there's not a lot of power there. Like he's having to rely on a little bit of a higher Babbitt to sustain, but still has 10 stolen bases, 11 RBIs. You know, uh, he's walk, walking 18% of the time. Now he's striking out 20%. Damn good. But the walk rate at 18%, like shit, man. Like, yeah. If you yeah. can find a way, like any sort of power, even if it's like doubles power and it can pop you 10 home runs, like kind of Andrew Benintendi-ish. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a center fielder for you in 2025 right there. Like, I, w- I would not be shocked if he skips and just they send him to high A and then he's in double A by the end of the year and we're talking about him like we're talking about Javier Vaz. Mm-hmm. Like a guy with like elite contact skills, can steal you some bags, going to play you some a great center field. And that, I think that's where he's different from Vaz is he plays a premium position, but I think they really hit on a dude. I I, I really think that Carson Rockefeller does factor into the future of this organization here pretty quickly. He could be a fast-moving type guy. I think yeah, that's the perfect game. Yeah, that's a perfect way to sum it up, I think, and kind of put a bow on this whole thing. Yep, absolutely. Do the Chiefs cover on Thursday? Covering five and a half I, now? Uh, yeah, five and a half or five. I don't think so. I picked the Lions to win by four. Or no, by three. Oh my. So, yeah, I'm sorry. I bet the Lions what to come. Hater. Right? What, what an absolute hater. I, I'm telling you, logically, I don't have any reasoning for it. My gut for like the better half of the week before the Chris Jones stuff was finalized, before Kelsey got hurt, I was like, I just have a weird feeling the Lions are going to win. I don't really truly believe it in my head, but my gut's telling me to do it. I'll probably be wrong, but I can't go against my gut because that's just the type of guy I am. I just picture and I'm a hater, by the way. Yeah, I, but yeah, I, I picture Patrick Mahomes just like Kelsey gets her, Chris Jones out, and it's just the Cam Newton gif where he's just like, all right. Okay. And then Sky <laughs> Justin Watson breakout yeah, game. Sky, Sky Moore's gonna fuck around and go eight for one twenty and two tuds. We're gonna be like, okay, like we're we're back, we're fine. Yeah, yeah having, having, having fifteen on your sidelines a good yeah. feeling because even with all the crap happening beside him, like you're like, okay, it's fine. Like they'll figure it yeah. out. I think they will figure it out. It might be a closer game than we're going to life because it seemed like that's all that happened last year, especially watching quarterback. It's like, oh, yeah, that was a close game again. Oh, yeah, that was that was way closer than it should have been. That's what I kind of feel like is going to happen in this one, but I don't think they lose on banner night. But I don't There's think no way they lose on banner night. Like, Yeah. They're not the Rams. They're not going to get shit canned off. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa. Dude, and what, that, that, is, that is on the way this week. 
I know it's. I'm sorry that it hurt your feelings, but it's just it's just a fact. They did. Oh my. We will. I, I'm going to pull this clip if they lose on Thursday. <laughs> That's going to do it for one royal way. We appreciate you guys. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.